Once upon a time, there was a young cat, a kitten, named Three Socks. And she was called Three Socks because she was she was a black cat, a black kitten. She had three white paws. The fourth was black, like the rest of her fur. And she was a wild kitten. She lived in the forest. And she had lots of forest friends. She would often be seen running around with her favorite dog, Jasper. Jasper was her best friend, and Jasper, in comparison to Three Socks, was gigantic. Jasper was a 160-pound mastiff, one of these big, big slobbery dogs. And he was extremely gentle. There were times when Three Socks would get herself into a, uh, a predicament in the forest. You know, there's lots of hazards in the forest. There was a quicksand spot, which is something I feel like we've forgotten about recently. That was a big thing in the 80s. We were always worried about quicksand. I don't know if quicksand just went away or we just got consumed being scared of other things, whatever the fear du jour is. But quicksand, for a time, really captured the the imagination of young people and drove fear deep into their hearts. So there was one day when Three Socks was playing a little too closely to the quicksand pond because that's where all the mice used to hang out because mice, for whatever reason, they just thought quicksand was cool and, and they were they were pretty spry and they could kind of get in and out of it. They had they had sort of adapted, you know, how animals just adapt to things over time. But Three Socks, even though she was a an agile, athletic young little kitten, quicksand was was very dangerous to her. She always tried to stay as far away as she could, but the the mice that hung out on the shores of Quicksand Pond were always just too enticing. Well, one day she got too close to the quicksand pond and she yelled out for Jasper. Jasper had been looking at a campsite that some humans had just vacated. Now Jasper being a large dog at 160 pounds was always hungry and Jasper found at this campsite that the the campers had left behind a couple of dirty plates full of macaroni and cheese. Jasper had heard about macaroni and cheese in the wild, but living in the wild as a wild dog, he, he, he had never come across it. It was, it, was a, it was something of folklore that the raccoons had told him about. So Jasper was distracted licking up these plates, the remnants on the plates of mac and cheese, when he heard, Jasper, Jasper, help, help. Well, he knew right away that that was his friend Three Socks. So he thought, you know, I really do like mac and cheese. There's a couple of plates left, but maybe maybe this is just a game that Three Socks is playing with me. And then something went off inside of Jasper's head called intuition. He said, you know what? To himself, my friend's in trouble. 
So he ran like a stallion through the woods, jumping over logs, running under briars, bouncing off of rocks. He actually went in a big circle, trying to find that scary quicksand spot. Luckily, his friend Three Socks was still calling out for him. Jasper finally got to the edge of the quicksand and he screeched to a halt. Leaves were flying everywhere and some mice on the side were snickering. What are you going to do about your friend now, big dog? That'll teach you, Three Socks, to eat our family. Jasper wanted to attack those mice, but he had to save his friend. Three Socks was up to her armpits in quicksand and sinking rather quickly. Jasper yelled out, You sink quickly in quicksand. That's how it got its name. Three Socks said, Don't worry about that. Just get me out of here. So Jasper looked all around and he thought, oh. Back at that campsite, the campers had left a fishing pole up against a tree. At first he thought, My, those were forgetful, sloppy campers. No matter. He ran back to the campsite, grabbed the fishing pole in his mouth, went straight back under the briars, over the rock, jumped the log, and put that fishing pole out for Three Paws to grab a hold of. So Three Socks reached out with one of her little sock paws. The other one had already been taken by the quicksand, and she couldn't quite reach that fishing pole. And Jasper had gotten as close to the edge of the quicksand as he could, and she was still just an inch away. She was just starting to sink and sink and sink. And these mice that were on the shore, they were laughing. They were having a good time. Somebody had brought some music and they started cooking mice food. They were having like a barbecue. It was like a big party celebrating the demise of Three Socks. It was it was rather disturbing, but you can imagine this cat had grown up tormenting them and eating their family. That's what cats do, they eat mice. And they were just having a blast, like all these mice. They started blowing up balloons. I mean, it was like, it was a, it was a, a huge party. It was like a quinceanera. I mean, the, it was so festive. There was music and dancing, all while this poor little kitten was sinking. Well, one of the mice named Morris sort of took pity on sinking three socks. And Morris looked around at all these other mice just having a party, just having a blast. And he looked over at his buddy, whose name was Jimmy. And he said, Jimmy, I know this is a lot of fun. Three socks has been torturing us and hunting us for years now but I have an idea I think we should save her and Jimmy was like why why would we do that he said well one I think it's the right thing to do because I can't just sit and watch this kitten get swallowed by quicksand and I'll just I won't be able to sleep at night and my conscience just won't let me do it and I know the natural order of things is that cats eat mice and we're supposed to hate them but I, I, I just watching it I just I can't I can't do it and then twofold I think if we save her, we can cut a deal so she leaves us alone. So they hatched a plan. 
So while Morris and Jimmy went back to the mouse hut to hatch a plan to save Three Socks, Jasper was still tugging away. But he didn't want to tug too hard. Because Three Socks was only holding on to the fishing pole by one paw. Out of the corner of his eye, Jasper winked at Three Socks as if to say, I think Jimmy and Morris are going to help us. But he couldn't be too sure. You can never trust a woodland mouse. Three Socks was holding on by his one black paw. We no longer saw the other three white paws. He was holding on to that fishing pole, but the quicksand was too porous. It was engulfing three socks so that now just his one paw on the fishing pole and his little head with his neck up reaching for breath held on. And Jasper thought, maybe if I made the quicksand less quick, it would save me a little time until the mice get back with their plan. So Jasper wedged the fishing pole between two rocks, which is very hard for a large dog because they have no thumbs. He did it with a paw in his mouth and he proceeded to vomit up some of the mac and cheese he had eaten at that campsite. And he projectile vomited the mac and cheese into the quicksand. The quicksand turned into a cement hardening so that he wouldn't sink any longer. Three Socks was safe for now. But as the mac and cheese, a little bit of vomit, some chewed up bones that uh, Jasper had also thrown up, mixed with the quicksand, we had a new dilemma. Three Socks, with one paw and his head sticking out, was now encased in the hardening mixture. What were they to do? The mouse party continued. The mice laughed. They walked out into the hardened quicksand and taunted Three Socks. They danced around him, sometimes farting on him. Well, Jasper wanted to stroll out there himself and he tested it with his big paw. It wasn't going to hold his weight. At 160 pounds, <laughs> he would have cracked it and everyone would have fallen in the quicksand mice, three socks, and himself. He was about to give up hope, but he couldn't let his friend be there alone. Just then, Morris and Jimmy came back, and they had a plan. They had gotten some cheese from a local farmhouse. They waved at their friends and said, Mice friends, mice friends, it's getting boring tormenting this cat. Leave her alone. We've got cheese. It was a cheddar cheese, which is uh, a favorite in the woods. They don't get it often. Well, all the mice came over and started nibbling on that cheese. Jimmy and Morris had saved the day. And Jimmy turned to Morris and said, You know that cat Three Socks ate my Aunt, Aunt Jenny. And Morris said, Let's save that story for another day. So Jasper picked up the fishing pole with his teeth, used it as a hammer, and stretching out his body as far as he could, he used it to chisel and break up the concrete-like substance formed from his mac and cheese vomit and quicksand. Soon, one white paw came out to join Three Socks Black Paw, and he wiggled his way around. And then, their friend Leonard 
an owl who had lived in the woods a long time, swooped down and started pecking around to further loosen the concrete. And between Leonard and Jasper, little three socks wiggled out another white paw and then another white paw until finally even her tail was free from the quicksand. We never saw Leonard again. He flew away instantly, an unsung hero of this story. Three Socks climbed out, licked her own fur clean, saying, this quicksand has an odd taste. Jasper laughed and said, that's the mac and cheese I had from the campsite. Three Socks said, you didn't have to tell me that part. Three Socks jumped on Jasper's back. They rode off into the night to live another day. The end. Once upon a time in a small village in Eastern Europe, there was a large pole in the center of town. It had been there for generations and generations to the point that the townspeople really didn't know the purpose of the pole. It was the source of uh, much joy, and it was also the source of many arguments. For instance, the baker and the butcher had almost come to a fistfight over the origin of the pole. The baker said it was an ancient rod that would point to the North Star and let the townspeople know, like a calendar, what time of year it was. And the butcher said, well, that's ridiculous. When it's cold, it's winter. When it's hot, it's summer. And they, they could never agree. One day, the mayor decided he would put all this tension to a rest, and he decided to throw the summer pole celebration. Everyone would bring their specialties and gather around the pole in the town and have a feast. At first, everyone was resistant. The local tailor and the shoemaker, a cobbler, said, this is not a good idea, mayor. We don't make food. The mayor said, well, cobbler, you can bring shoes for everyone. Some people in our town only have one pair of shoes. This celebration, the Summer Pole Fest, will be a chance for people to get new shoes. You may even meet some new travelers that have settled in our village. The tailor said, I don't know everyone's sizes. And the mayor said, that's okay. Don't bring clothes. Bring your tape measure and some thread, and you can help people mend their old clothing and maybe take measurements and give them some new clothing. The butcher said, begrudgingly, I guess I could bring a ham and a side of lamb. I also have some kangaroo meat that I've imported from Africa. The baker rolled his eyes and said, kangaroos aren't in Africa, they're in Australia. And the butcher said, I never studied geography. Give me a break. The baker said, I shall make my famous crescent rolls called croissants on the other side of Europe. Well, you can imagine that all the townspeople soon were enthused, challenging each other. What could they contribute to the summer pole festival? This would be a chance to unite everyone in the village, building camaraderie. The mayor was asked, what is he going to bring? And the mayor said, I'm going to bring more great ideas like the one I had. The townspeople stared at him and then all nodded and said, you're right, mayor. We thank thee, because that's how they talked back then. They said thee, 
We thank thee for coming up with this summer pole festival idea. Well, the night before the festival, a strange man had come into town. He was on the run from a nearby village. He had stolen some fire and he was running through the night with a fire stick. Now, all the elements from everybody's shop, the, the meats, the shoes, the fabric, even gold and some lamps and small home appliances had been gathered around the pole. Everyone trusted everyone in this village. They, after all, they were a small village in ancient times. There was no such thing as mistrust. Well, luckily, one boy couldn't sleep that night. He woke his sister and said, Sister, look. The brother and sister looked out the window. The older sister knew exactly what to do. She would call the authorities. So she took her walkie-talkie and tuned it to the police channel and called the chief of police. It was a little late to be getting a call, especially from a, a young person, but the police chief said, What's going on? Why are you calling? Is this an emergency? And the older sister said, Yes, it is. That's why I'm using this walkie-talkie. I wouldn't call wolf, as they say. This is a real problem. There's a strange man I've never seen in town before. He's got a fire stick. The police chief said, we call it a torch. The young girl said, okay, I've never seen fire. This torch the man is carrying seems awful dangerous, and he's putting it very close to all the items our village has gathered and put around the pole of celebration. I'm worried and suspicious he may do something. The police chief said, you kids stay put. We'll handle it. Within moments, the police chief and her police officers surrounded the pole, sneaking into the town square, for they didn't want to startle the man with the torch, or he may set everything ablaze. They thought they had him when he waved the fire stick at the police force. All of them were scared. This was new. No one had ever attacked someone in this peaceful village. The man made a run for it, and he went down the cobblestone street, took a left in the alley, jumped up onto the roof, went roof to roof, waving his fire stick torch, threatening to burn down the village. Well, the police officers gave chase. They weren't afraid. They knew that they had to save the town. Because it was a small town, and this man was from another village, he quickly got lost and ended up back at the pole of celebration in the middle of town. The police people cornered him and said, there's no escaping now. We know your escape route and you're outnumbered. Why are you here? Why would you do a bad thing and set these things on fire? And the man said, set these things on fire? Oh no, that is not my intention. You have judged a book by its cover, which you should never do. I am here to teach you all about the benefits of fire. You see this kangaroo meat and this ham? You're going to get sick. It's not cooked. It's cured, but it tastes so much better if you actually cook it. And there in the middle of the night, in the middle of town, the man used his fire, a knife cut off a piece of kangaroo meat, and stuck it over the flame of his torch. The police people smelled the just like a summer grill this aroma of yummy kangaroo meat and they said may we try it 
And the man said, of course, that's why I came here. I've traveled all the way from Australia. I'm not from the neighboring village. I've been eating kangaroo all my life, and I wanted you to enjoy it. My cousin told me you bought some from him, and that's why I journeyed here. The police officers apologized, and the police chief said, Sir, we want to grant you citizenship to our small village. You are welcome here any time. Would you spend the night? And the man said, I'm a traveler. I should be on my way. But you people are so nice that I'm going to stay for your big celebration tomorrow. Can you offer me a place to sleep? And the police chief said, well, let's not get carried away. No one's going to trust you in their home, but you can sleep in that stable over there with some of the local goats. So the man went over and with his flaming torch, went into the pen with the goats. Luckily, the older sister and her little brother had run out in their pajamas and said, wait, don't go in that stall with all that hay and your flaming torch. You'll go up in a blaze. And the man said, you're right, good catch. And he handed over his flaming torch to the young girl and said, take care of my fire stick until the morning. The next morning, all the townspeople gathered around to celebrate the unity and the camaraderie of the village. They all dined on delicious meats that were cooked for the first time in their lives. They forgot about the origins of the, the pole in the center of town and no one really cared. For from that day on, the celebration of the pole happened every summer, twice a year. The end. Once upon a time in the countryside in England, a long time ago, this was probably eight, nine hundred years ago, there was a very tall rock wall that divided the properties of two different feudal lords because they had a feudal system in England, if I remember my history. I could be totally wrong, kids. This is not a a history lesson. I'm just making up words. There was this rock wall and it divided the properties between a very wealthy knight named Richard and another knight named Philip who was not as wealthy as Richard. And Richard had many, many animals. He had deer on his land that would run he had cows, he had sheep, he had pigs, and Philip had some chickens, and not much else. He had a, a farm cat that would run around and chase the chickens, but Philip's property was kind of sad, and it was run down, and he just, you know, these knights, they would, they would make their money doing night things and going on night adventures and they were sort of they were part of a, a very specific order of knights they were like mercenaries they were like knights for hire right and they were in these like different groups and, and Richard was in a group of knights that just got the better gigs right like the king would be like hey I've got these two different groups of knights Richard's group was named the Silver Knights, and Philip's group 
of knights, his club of knights, was named the Purple Knights because they felt that they were brave. And purple is a color that's associated with bravery and hope. Well, Philip didn't have a ton of hope because he looked around on his farm and it just wasn't doing that well because he wasn't getting these premium assignments from the king to go do the cool night things and go on, you know, different adventures, go off to different lands and colonize people who just wanted to be left alone and live their lives. But in England, that's what they did. It was just like, it was just the way things were. And they didn't think it was wrong, even though in hindsight, through the lens of the year 2023, we know that Mostly people just want to be left alone and they don't need saving and they definitely don't need conquering. And that was the thing with with Philip too, is he wasn't into the conquering, right? And so that's why he in the conquering jobs, those were the ones that really, really paid well, right? And he just thought it was wrong. Like he, he thought that these other countries, empires didn't need conquering. So he would take all the small gigs. Well... One day, the king came to Philip, and he said, Philip, I got a job for you and the Purple Knights. The king, being a somewhat wise king, said, Philip, I need you to go and find another land that we can conquer. Philip said he knew it was his opportunity. He knew it was a big one. He knew this could change his entire life. He could possibly get more chickens or sheep maybe even a nice pig or two. He said, sure. Or more appropriately, he said, why, yes, my liege. I would be honored to go on this journey to find other people and conquer them. At least that's what he said. Now, what he was thinking in his old brain there was, oh, no, I really, really don't want to do that. I don't like conquering. I like living here. I wish I had more, but... I really don't want to go and take over a whole nother group of people, especially ones I don't know very well, or at all. But he knew he had to do what his king had asked, despite his reservations. So, Philip spoke to his other purple knights. He said, gentlemen, we're going on a quest. It'll be a long one. We'll need ships, we'll need horses, we'll need food. We'll need rice. You gotta have rice. If you don't have that, it's it's a problem. It's one of the most popular items, really, to eat across the entire planet. And they said, but I thought we were against that. We normally do the small jobs. He said, I know that. I know we normally do the small jobs, but our king has asked us to do this one. Okay, said the other knights. You do know we don't like conquering, correct? Like, we've established that. He said, yes, I'm aware. We talk about it quite often. That's normally one of the things we say to each other the most is, hey, I don't want to conquer anybody. Can't we just go and, I don't know, hunt for deer or something in the in the magic forest? There was a magic forest, by the way, but that's a different story that maybe will be addressed another time. So the knights gathered up their things. They wished their loved ones goodbye, said they don't know when they'll be coming back, but they know they'll be conquering when they do. Their loved ones said goodbye. They also said but I thought we didn't like doing that. They said, yes, I know, again, but we have to do it. So they loaded up onto their ships, and they sailed away, all the way across many seas. 
they came to a distant land. And when they landed, they met a new group of people there who turned out to be very much like them. In fact, they were also knights. They also had a king. They also had rice, which again, is one of the most popular foods on the planet. And they said, we're here to conquer you. And then the other knights, being taken aback, said, well, we were coming to do the same thing to you. That's surprising. So they had somewhat of a conundrum. Conundrum would mean a problem, an issue. It's a big word. In fact, I probably didn't say what it was right, but that's okay. We can look it up later. So they said, Philip, to the other knight, said, well, first off, what's your name? Let's get that right out of the way. The other knight said, well, my name is Galfmore. Philip said, excuse me? He said, it's Galfmore. Galfmore. Well, that's an interesting name. He said, I know. I'm very proud of it. Well, Galfmore, said Philip, do you mind if we go ahead and conquer you? Galfmore said, well, no, I take umbrage at that. I, I have issue with that, my friend. So they realized they were at an impasse. So they decided the way they could settle this would be a race. Now, not a horse race. No, no, no. A foot race. Galfmore said, well, the only way we do foot races in, is in full armor. Philip said, well, just so happens that's the same way we do it. Starting to turn out they have a lot more in common than they thought initially. So, all the gentlemen gathered around, all the noble ladies, all the noble knights, and even some of the peasantry, because there were things called peasants. Again, it's a feudal system, which we've learned is a not-so-good system, and hopefully we have gone past that. So they all gathered around. They met on a giant field. Philip said, I'm ready. Galfmore said, well, so am I. So they prepared for the race. And as they got down in their positions, ready to go, a terrible thing happened. Galfmore pulled a hammy and he couldn't walk. He couldn't race. He could barely move. It was a bad, bad hammy pull. And if you've ever pulled a hammy, a hamstring, you know how painful that could be. And so Philip sighed. He's like, well, I, I guess I, I win the race. And, and I guess we get to conquer you. And, and Galfmore took off his helmet and he had the, the most desperate, pleading look in his eyes. And he said, Sir Philip, I have terribly injured ye hamstring. I need medical attention. The thing about the Purple Knights was they always brought a field medic with them whenever they would go anywhere. And this was sort of a new thing for Galfmore and his knights because they just weren't as advanced, especially with dealing with hamstring injuries. And, you know, Philip had had some struggles with his hamstrings in the past. And, and so he always insisted to bring the field medic named Roderick along with them. And he looked at Galfmore and he took pity on Galfmore. So he summoned Roderick with the med kit. And the med kit was, it was a, a cured and tanned 
sheep splatter that contained medical supplies. That's how they carried things back then. They didn't have Ziploc bags or backpacks or anything with zippers. It was sheep bladder. And Roderick came running over and he took a look at the hamstring and he pulled out some ointment, some some herbs. It was a, a potion almost of herbs mashed with sour cream and onion and it smelled delicious, but you couldn't eat it. It was really only to be rubbed on injured hamstrings. So Roderick tended to Galfmore, and instantly Galfmore started to feel better. And he said, where did you get this, this magical cream? And Philip said, well, my guy here, Roderick, he's just, you know, he's, he's the best. He mixes all this stuff up. I don't even know what's in half this stuff, but, but it works. We got all sorts of that stuff over in England. I mean, not all the knights do, but the purple knights do. So Galfmore had an idea. He said, well, do you have corn? And he said, yeah, we've got corn, but it's not great. And Galfmore was like, well, we have like the best corn in the world. And he said, maybe instead of trying to conquer each other, we open up a trade route. I'll give you the best corn in the world. If you can send me medicine, that way nobody has to kill anybody and nobody has to get conquered and we can all benefit. And Philip looked around at his other purple knights and they were nodding their heads because they didn't want to be doing the conquering. They really enjoyed their modest lives, living on their simple farms, hunting deer, rescuing cats, you know, all these like little jobs that needed to be done in the villages. They were cool with that. They were they were lovers. They were not fighters. And so he realized that that's what they should do. And so they loaded up their ships with the best corn in the world and shipped back to old England. And then about three months later, because it takes a really long time to get across the ocean, they sent another ship with Roderick and Philip and a few of the other Purple Knights. They didn't need all of them because they weren't doing any conquering. This was a peace mission. They went back across the ocean and they delivered the best medical supplies that Roderick could cook up. And they maintained that partnership and that relationship for centuries. And no one needed conquering. The end. Once upon a time, there was a old shed. It used to be back the back of a house. The house was unoccupied. Nobody lived there anymore. The house had been there for probably a hundred years, so a century. That's ten years times ten years, so ten ten. If anybody's having to do math, so the shed behind this house that had had been abandoned for years and was was decaying and running down. There was spider that used to live in this old shed. Now, she had been there for, for years, but she'd been there a long time without any any other friends. Nobody really came around. She was still the only spider there. She hoped to have friends someday, but she'd heard of them. She'd heard of friends. But she was very lonely. So she decided, I'm going to have a party. Now, I've only heard of parties. They used to have them in the old house back in the day. Wonderful parties. 
They had cake. They had ice cream. They had beautiful, beautiful bouquets of flowers and party favors. And everybody would run around. The spider would watch those old parties. And she'd dream and dream of one day having one of her own. Well, now was the time. The time had come to finally have a party of her own. But how would she have one? She didn't have any way to send out invitations. She didn't even know where to go. But she said, I'm going to journey out. I'm going to leave the shed. And I'm going to go find some friends to invite to my party. So she packed up her things. She packed up her webbing. She left her old webbing there because hopefully she'd be back. But she got some things together. She still had a fly that she had wrapped up a few days before. Now she felt a little bad about it because maybe she should have invited him to her party. But she was hungry and she had to eat. And she was sure that the fly understood that. So she packed him up, put him on her back, put on one of her favorite coats because she always had a coat for the winter. It had eight, eight arms, which sometimes could be hard to get into, but she'd figure a way into it. It was red. It was a beautiful red coat. So she started on her journey. The sun was high. She struck out. She crawled down to the grass and started walking. Now, the grass was tall. It was much taller than she remembered. It looked very short from her perch in the old shack. But when she got down on the ground, it was, it was giant. She looked up and marveled at how amazing the ground was and how beautiful. And as she's walking along, she hears a rustling. And first she's a little scared. Even though she's a spider and some people are scared of her, she can also get scared. She said, who's there? No answer. She called again. Who's there? Still no answer. She thought, maybe if I, I put on a brave voice, then I won't be scared and I can, I can ask. She said, who's there? As she stamped all eight of her legs. And then she heard a voice. It's just me. Who's just me? Oh, it's just me. Stuart said, well, would you please come out, Stuart? I'd like to see what you look like. He said, okay. So Stuart came out and Stuart was a caterpillar. She said, oh my, I haven't seen one of you in forever. You used to have caterpillars all the time at the shed. He said, well, what are you? She said, well, I'm a spider. I said, well, what's your name, if you don't mind me asking? She said, well, it's Gail. I'm Gail the spider. I said, well, what are you doing out here in the grass? I thought you guys usually stayed up in, in old sheds or up high. She said, well, funny you should ask. I'm on my way to try and find friends for a party. I said, a party? What kind of party? I said, well, just a let's get together party. Let's celebrate our friendship party. Well, I've never had one of those. She said, well, would you like to come along with me to help me find friends to go to my party? He said, well, sure, I'd love to. So they started walking along. They walked further and further, started talking. Gail said, well, how long you lived in these this grass, Stuart? He said, oh, I don't know, about 10 years. 10 years, said Gail. That's a long time. Said, yeah, it's been a long time, but that's okay. Then Gail, being intrigued, said, well, do you have any friends? Said, no, not really. Huh, would you want to be my friend? Said Gail. Really? Said Stuart. Yeah, said Gail. I don't have many friends myself. Everybody seemed to leave when the old couple cleared out of the old house that got abandoned. There were old people that used to live in the old house that got abandoned, in case you were wondering. But that's another story for another time. So, Gail and Stuart became friends, and they continued to walk. Then they came upon another sound. And then Stuart said, Oh, what's that? Gail said, Well, let's find out. So she said again, Who's there? No answer. Who's there? Still no answer. So 
Gail said, Stuart, say it with me. But I'm scared, said Stuart. She said, well, I'm right here with you. I'll be with you. We're together now. We're friends. We can say this together. He said, okay. So then they said together, one, two, three, who's there? Then they heard a voice. It's just me, said, just you. Yeah, it's just me, said, well, just me. Would you come out? Okay. So as they're looking, the bushes start to shake. And lo and behold, it's a squirrel with a big bushy tail. He was a black squirrel. Sometimes you don't see those. They can be kind of rare. He said, hey, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're going to find people to invite to a party. A party? What's that? Said the squirrel. Well, it's a gathering of different people and friends where you get together and you talk and you celebrate and you, you know, you have fun. Maybe you have cake. That sounds great, said the squirrel. Would you like to come with us, said Gail. Yeah, said the squirrel. I was just sitting here in these bushes. Okay. Well, why don't you come along? Squirrel said, we'd go a lot faster if you guys jumped on my back. I said, that's a great idea. So they hopped on his back and they took off racing as they raced through the woods on the back of the squirrel. His name was Harold, by the way. They had forgotten to ask, but they asked later once they were riding. They said, oh, goodness, we forgot to ever ask your name before we hopped on your back and took off through the woods. And he said, well, it's Harold. I said, good to meet you, Harold. So they raced all through the forest, all through the grass and the fields, and they came across so many other friends. They came across a butterfly. They came across a badger named Sarah. They came across a dragonfly, and they even came across a bear. His name was Alan, Alan the Bear. And Gail said, well, I really appreciate all you guys taking me to find people to have a party with, but we didn't really find anybody. I don't know where we're going to go. And then she thought about it. She looked around and saw all the other animals and insects, all the friends that she had made along the journey. Suddenly it dawned on her. Well, wait a minute. We can have a party right here. They all looked at her and they went, what do you mean? She said, well, we can have a party. We're all friends now. We've all had an amazing adventure, running around, finding everybody. Whole time I thought I was looking for other people, and turns out I was looking for you guys. He said, hey, you're right. Well, what do we do at a party? Gail said, I think we're doing it. We're laughing. We're talking. Alan brought some treats. We forgot about that. He had snacks the whole time that he was letting us borrow. I said, yeah, you're right. So this is a party. And they danced. They had met some crickets along the way who started playing their legs as they do. Like violins, made beautiful music, people made costumes. Unfortunately, they had party hats that they just happened to have anyway, because, you know, the badger had them. And so that's what they did. They enjoyed each other's company and getting to know each other better. And from that day forward, every year, they would come together to celebrate their invention of a party with all their best friends. And that's the way it went. And they realized that they loved each other, they cared for each other, and they took care of each other. And it was the best party they ever had for the rest of their lives. The end.